Scott. I'm the student student pastor here. Uh, You know, this is the continuation of our summer reading series. Last week, Pastor Chris uh, started off with The Circle Maker. Uh, and use that book about how, uh, just talking about prayer and praying circles around the things that, uh, that you want and the, uh, what you want to see happen and all of that. So this week, uh, the book is called The Dude's Guide to Manhood. Uh, we've got a few of them out there. It's a yellow book that has, uh, has like a big beard and some glasses on it, and it looks pretty manly itself. Uh, so make sure you pick up that book uh, out there if you haven't had a chance to pick it up. It is a, it is a great read. It's an easy read in the way that it's broke down. Uh, I would just encourage you to do that. Uh, but today, talking about manhood. Uh, Pastor Chris just felt uh, I was a little more, you know, you know, a little more experienced in this and that I should go ahead and do this. He didn't feel like he was up to the task. And no, <laughs> we've been kind of giving each other a hard time about it and, you know, all that kind of thing last couple of weeks. But uh, no, just the, just this book, uh, why it was, uh, it was one that I recommended when we started talking about the books for the summer reading series. Uh, I read it a couple months ago. Uh, it's Darren Patrick, who was in the video, is the pastor uh, of Journey Church in St. Louis. Uh, he is the author of the book, and uh, he's, he's a great guy, one, because he's from St. Louis like I'm from St. Louis. Uh, he is a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan like me, which makes, him, makes us great people uh, in general uh, because of that, uh, but uh, also just because we have a, a very similar background. Uh, and the fact that I was also uh, raised by a woman. My parents got divorced when I was five years old. Uh, my dad was virtually non-existent in, in my life uh, from the time I was three uh, up until college. He was there, but he wasn't there. I had time with him, but it wasn't time. Uh, you know, and so for me, reading this book and hearing from his perspective, a lot of similar things for me, maybe even a lot of similar things for you, or maybe what you're going through right now. Uh, but this book is, uh, is just an incredible book about how it, it, it teaches through God's word about what God says manhood actually is and what it's about. And uh, so for me, uh, it, it really struck home with me because being from the same area and things like that, uh, but also just the idea that I, I had a similar lifestyle to him. So as he began to use experiences and things like that uh, from his own life, so a lot of that uh, was able to ring true uh, for me personally. Uh, but I would encourage you to, to pick this book up. If you're a man or if you know a man or are married to a man, pick this book up for them. It is a, it is a great book to read, a great book to, uh, and even as a woman, uh, I would go ahead and recommend for you uh, as well to read it because there's a lot of things that apply uh, to, to your own, your, your spouse or to your family, to maybe your kids, uh, to people around you, but maybe even also apply to your own life. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you're a woman today, please don't check out because we're talking about manhood. Uh, please be in prayer uh, for, the, for the males in your life, the men, uh, the boys in your life. Uh, but also when we get to talking about the, the godly attributes, the attributes of a godly man, uh, I would also be as bold to say that those are attributes of a godly woman as well. Uh, so I want to encourage you to, to not check out because we're talking maybe a little more specifically about manhood, uh, but it applies to you as well uh, today. Uh, now, when it comes to manhood, for me, uh, growing up, my dad wasn't necessarily what I would call the, the manhood uh, figure that I needed in my life. Uh, he wasn't the one that I wanted to look to and live my life after, pattern my life after. He wasn't that example that I needed. Uh, so for me, I began to look in all the uh, just different places uh, for, for a man uh, to be able to, to follow after as a role model. Uh, for me, one of the places I looked uh, was the Bible, which is the, the best place to look uh, for this example. But another place that I looked for also uh, was movies, uh, which is a horrible place to look uh, for what it means to be a man. Uh, but when it comes to man, there are a lot of manly like men movies. You know, there's a lot of them uh, that are out there that are just they're, they're manly movies. Like, so give me some examples. Throw out, what's a, what's a what was it? Batman. Batman, yes. That's my personal favorite, Batman. But what, what else? Braveheart. 300. 300. Jason Bourne. 
Gladiator, Top Gun. I mean, you go down the list, right? Rocky. Yeah, that's the one right there, right? Like, there are man's man movies. Uh, but, you know, so I began to look for all of, of how to be a man, like, through these movies, and it's like, yeah, you know, like, I could, I could fly a jet and, you know, like, you know, do this and be, like, Top Gun, or I could do, you know, like, lead a, an army of people in a, in a kilt and, like, you know, do these kinds of things and, and be a man, you know, and, like, I didn't get that part about being the man, but I was like, well, that doesn't really flow, but whatever, uh, you know, but we looked for, like, these different places. So sometimes for, for you guys that are in here, you may have, maybe you had a, a dad that was in your life, that he was a dad, he was a great dad, he was a, a man to look up to and to be able to pattern your life after. But maybe you also did look in other areas too. You looked in other places, you looked to other people's uh, dads, you looked to maybe coaches and things like that, like Darren talked about just in the video just a moment ago. But you know, when it comes to, uh, for me, I looked at, at these movies and looked for these examples and uh, you know, ultimately a lot of those things were, were unattainable. Because it's, it's, it's make-believe, because it's not real life as a, as a man. Uh, one of the movies that, uh, that I want to just kind of talk about for just a second, uh, you would never even bring, if I said make a list of 100 movies about, men, about being a man, this would never uh, do it because it's not about that, but it's the wrong way to be a man. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Anybody seen Napoleon Dynamite? Okay. Now, I don't want to talk about Napoleon himself. But who I want to talk about for just a second is Uncle Rico. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico uh, is this guy. I think he's like 40. Uh, he's like, uh, he's kind of lives in the past, lives in the glory days. And just, you know, he's out back throwing the football through the tire, you know, just in case the pros call, you know, like who's going to call a 40-year-old guy that hasn't played football in 20 years. And, uh, you know, like he's going through and he's always talking about, yeah, back when I was in high school and, you know, we did this and we did that. If I hadn't, you know, broken my pinky or whatever, I'd have got drafted and like all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think there's a lot of, of males in today's world that have Uncle Rico disease. And what I mean is that they live in the past glories, that they live in the past highlights of their life, whether it's sports, whether it's uh, school, whether it, it's job promotions, whether it's cars and stuff, uh, whether it's uh, women that they have been with, whatever it is. But they live in the past glories and the things of that when uh, we need to look in what's going on right now in the present of our own life and what's to come in the future uh, of, of our walk with Christ as, as a Christ follower, but ultimately as a man. You see, one of the things um, when it comes to, to Uncle Rico and thinking about Uncle Rico is that Uncle Rico feels like he's always got like the next best story. And what I mean is that you probably know people like this that live this lifestyle of living in the past glories, but at the same time, they have the next best story. They, they're what I call toppers. You got any toppers in your life? People that always have to top your story or top someone's story, you know, like for a man's, you know, you know for a man, it's like, you know, man, I, I ate two burgers last night. I ate three. And you're like, all right, you know, like, I built a house next day. I built two and you got, I made a hundred dollars. I made $200 and they go down the line, you know, I shot a, an eight Eight-point buck, is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, and the next guy's like, I got a 12-point buck. I think that's better. It's more. Uh, it's got more numbers in there. But like all those kinds of things, like they always want to top it. They want to top the next thing. Uh, but what I think is cool is if you realize that in our own life, no matter, especially as a, as a guy, as a man, there's always somebody that's got something better right? There's always somebody that maybe has got something that seems like a little bit bigger of a highlight or a little bit more of like more of a, of a famous thing that's happened uh, to them. What I want to encourage you is this. If we look in God's word, the man's man, the manliest man is who? It's Jesus. But so I think for so many of us, it's like, man, how could I ever attain that? You know, as a sinner, we can't attain being a man just like Jesus. Now, we can try, and that's what we're supposed to live our life to do, is to try to reflect Jesus. But what we need to understand is that we, that we can't attain that, but we're still, we're still supposed to do that. 
but also another guy that I would put uh, kind of like right behind Jesus as a, as a man's man in the Bible is King David. Now, if you know about the life of King David, King David faced a lot of temptation, faced a lot of struggle. He messed up a lot, and he, it's in here, uh, but he also did a lot of things for God. And he lived a life that is kind of like got some really manly stories. And if you think about it like this, your own life, let's say you got to sit down at a table with King David. And you begin to tell your story about, yeah, back in state, you know, back in high school, we won state. You know, I was the quarterback, led my team to the state championship. And David's like, that's cool. I, uh, I was sitting on this rock one time, and, and a bear came out, and I killed it with my bare hands. That would top it, right? That would win the, sto- win the, win the, the, the argument or the discussion. You know, or then you got like, why, well, you know, my company made a million dollars last year, and I let them right, I made, you know, led them to this million dollars. And then you got King David's like, that's cool, but this one time there was a nine-foot giant that came at me when I was a teenager, and I, I, I killed him with a pebble. I, I killed him, and I cut his head off, held it up in the air, and an army of thousands fled. Like, that would win. That's the manliest of the man's stories, right? Like, like you can't beat, how are you going to beat that? Like, you killed a nine-foot giant, hold up his head, and then people run from you as a teenager. You see... I think there's a lot of different things that we have in our life that we look at, whether it's past accolades and highlights of our life, things that we've done and accomplished. And we're like, well, I'm a man because I did this or because I did that. And what I would say is that these are what are called false attributes, false attributes of a godly man. When we realize that it's not about the things that we do, but it's about what Jesus Christ has done and how we trust in that. So on your, uh, on your notes, on your outline there, I've got a couple things uh, you know, jotted down here just to kind of walk through. These are some false attributes of a man. The first one, sports achievement. This is one a lot of us as guys we hold on to, our wins, our stats, uh, our highlights from, from, our, from our careers in sports, you know, years ago and years past. And we hold on to these things as they are something that, that we're like, because I did this, I'm, I'm a man. I made it, I, I qualify as a man because of this. But the next one, age, uh, you know, there's the whole, oh, I'm 18 now, I'm a man. Uh, doesn't mean that. Right? I know a lot of 40-year-olds that aren't men. I've got friends that are my age, they aren't men. I've got like some, you know, they're not in here, just so you, but they're like, I've got, <laughs> I've got some friends of mine that I would say, he's still not a man. You see, it's not about our age. Uh, if you remember a couple years ago, Oklahoma State football coach Mike uh, Gundy was uh, talking uh, in a press conference right after a game, and there was a, uh, somebody that had written an article about his quarterback and just tore this kid up about how he was done all the wrong things and, th- and stuff like that and just tore him apart. Well, Mike Gundy, the coach of Oklahoma State, began to just rip into this guy about how that's awful. This kid does all the right things, but he made a few mistakes, and you're going to tell him, and he gets going back and forth, and starts yelling at him, and he says, uh, he says, if you want to yell at somebody, he says, come at me. I'm a man. I'm 40. Do you remember this? He like yells it out. I'm a man. I'm 40. Like, does being 40 make you a man? It's like, no, that doesn't make you a man either. See, it's not about your age. I know some teenagers that I would say are men, but I know some 40-year-olds that I would say are not. See, it's not about your age that makes you a man. The next thing, physical appearance. Just because you went from a, uh, a soprano to a bass doesn't make you a man. Uh, because you got some hair in some weird places, that doesn't make you a man either, right? Uh, there's some things, because you can shave daily, which I don't do, uh, you can, doesn't make you a man either, right? Like it's, it's not about your physical appearance that makes you a man. The next one, education. We will hold on to our education. I went to college. I graduated with a degree. I'm a man. I got a master's degree. I'm a man. I got a, a doctorate. I'm a man. No. See, having knowledge isn't the same thing as having godly wisdom. And it's not about our education and the degrees that we rack up that makes us a man. You see, uh, Paul, he was a man. King David, he was a man. He didn't have any degrees. 
They didn't have any like formalized education of what we would think that would qualify them as a man. But they were men. Bank account. This does not make us a man. If I were to get so much money, then, then, then I'm established. I'm a man. This is who I am. But think about it like this. How many people do we know that are in some kind of an industry, whether it be music or movies or sports, that make all sorts of money and make a whole lot of immature, dumb decisions, and they're not men at all? We can name, name after name, athlete after athlete, musician after musician, that whether they're 15 or whether they're 40, and they've got a lot of money in the bank, but they're not men. They live a life of immaturity. So it's not about your bank account either. It's also not about your career. Some of us, I think, if we get to this idea of, man, if I can just get a career, get a job where I get to wear a suit and tie and sit at a desk, and, and that's, man, then I'm a man. But then it's the other way around, too, the, like kind of the other end of the spectrum. Of like, if I can have a job where I'm a, a blue-collar worker that, you know, I, I work with my hands and I, you know, the, by the sweat of my brow and all that, like that makes me a man. See, that doesn't make you a man either. It's not about your career or what your job is that makes you a man. Your work ethic can tie in to being a man. But it's not ultimately what you do that makes you the man. The next one, physical conquests. Physical conquest. It's not about, uh, you know, victories, uh, physical victories like fighting. Like, oh, you know, I beat up that guy. Well, that has nothing to do with being a man. You know, and I would even go as further to say, not just fighting like a physical fight, but it's another physical conquest as far as a sexual conquest. What so many men in today's world would consider a sexual uh, a victory, a physical victory. They say, look at, the, look at the girls that I've been with. Look at the women that, that I have had a relationship with. That makes me a man because I've had all these relationships. Because I've had all these conquests, all these victories. Where I was going far and say, you know what, if you've had all of those, those are all losses. You see, it's not about the physical conquest that we have. The next one is this, possessions. It's not about the possessions that we have. We can be given stuff over and over. I've seen uh, teenagers and 20-somethings that, uh, that have been given, uh, you know, a car or given some you know, amount of money or whatever, and they're like, I'm a man, look what kind of car I drive. And it's like, somebody gave that to you. That, I would say that would be the man that would be able to afford that to be able to give that to you, you know? Like, those kinds of things we look at like, man, if I got this, if I had this possession, if I had this stuff, then I'm a man. But it's not about that either. Toughness. This is something that a lot of boys hear about growing up. You got to be tough. You want to be a man? You got to be tough. So you do have to be tough. But you also have to know when to be meek, to be humble, to be able to understand that you're not supposed to be a, a, a stone, to be a rock, to where you are always tough because you need to be able to show compassion and show love for other people. And emotionless kind of ties into that. We're taught as, as boys a lot of times that, you know, don't cry. Men don't cry. No, I would say men that do cry are the manliest of men. Because they're the ones that are willing to say, you know what? My wife is hurting. My son or my daughter is in pain. And I feel that same pain for them. I show compassion. I show love. And to be able to cry and to show emotion because something is meaningful to you is something that's very manly. You see, these attributes that are listed are something that you guys can all sit here and see. You know, as men, we can say we've all thought them at some point. Or we know people that really rely on these things. Like, because I'm this old, I'm a man. Because I have this job, I'm a man. Because I have this possess these possessions, I'm a man. Because of my physical conquest, my physical victories, I'm a man. See, God's Word doesn't say that. God's Word uh, talks about manhood and talks about being a man and what that all uh, entails. 
And what we're going to do is today is I'm going to read uh, out of Psalm 49 just to uh, get us started down, down this path of, of a godly man. Psalm 49, verse 16. It says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. You see, out of this passage of Scripture, I want to pull out five different things, five different truths, five different attributes of a godly man. But not even just pulling out of that, I want to go ahead and we're going to have some, uh, some other verses that are going to complement or supplement uh, these truths. Now, the attributes of a godly man are going to be more biblically based. They're going to be founded in the Scripture. They're going to be founded in something that's not what the world tells us, but it's going to be what God tells us through His Word. So let's look at these. The first one is this. A godly man longs for eternal riches. A godly man longs for eternal riches. A man's uh, work ethic is a lot of times kind of involved in this because we work our, our life, we work day in and day out for earthly, temporary things. You see, our, we're, we're longing for these, these temporary, uh, not these permanent riches, but we're longing for the temporary things. We begin to long, we work, and we work hard for, uh, for money to be able to support our family. We work hard uh, to be able to have uh, food on the table, to be able to have a home that, that, that we love, and to be able to have things for our kids. But what it comes down to is that it's not about the work ethic. Work ethic is great, but there is a difference between work ethic and workaholic. You see, it's not about the quantity of the work, but it's about the quality of the work. So many guys have the idea that, man, if I have to work more and more hours to show and to provide for my family, when it should be more about the quality of the work you're putting in and the hours you're working. Because you need to work just as hard at your home that you do at your workplace, at your job. You see, a lot of us spend so much time worried about our job that we don't worry enough about our home. If you look, and uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 16 to 18, says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That last part, for the things that are seen are transient, meaning they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, we need to live a life uh, where we are working for eternal things, not the temporary, the transient things, the eternal things, working for our sanctification, which is the process of becoming holy or becoming more like Christ. We need to spend more time working in that, working in a, in a way, working for our life, and how are we becoming more like Jesus? We spend so much time working for the physical things that we see or that are around us that we don't spend the time to work on our spiritual life. We will work day in and day out for hours and for years on getting the next promotion, being the best at our job. But we work very little at where we are spiritually. To be a man, to be a godly man, to be, have this, this idea of manhood in our life, we need to work spiritually for what's going on. We need to work spiritually in our life to spend uh, you know, more time praying and reading the Bible uh, on our own, but also with our family to spend time uh, reading with them and spend more time reading the Bible and, and, and in prayer and in worship with our family and to quit worrying about uh, making more money so that we can buy newer and nicer stuff. To be able to have an idea or to be, have a focus on the things that are eternal, the things that are unseen, and to quit worrying so much about the temporary things that can be removed, can be taken away. Because we will spend so much time working at a job that can be removed real quick that we could lose. 
We spend so much time on a, uh, to get a house or possessions on things that can be broken, stolen, or just taken away. But once you have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, it can't be taken away. The question is, how are you working towards that? How are you working towards uh, increasing your spiritual maturity, increasing your relationship and your connection with God? When we talk about uh, the idea of, of eternal riches, and I think a lot of it comes down to uh, the relationship part that we have. When it comes down to the relationships, uh, I think, you know, for me personally, uh, like I said just a few moments ago, I had, uh, my dad, would just, he wasn't there. Uh, he wasn't there as a, as a dad. Uh, we didn't have a, a great relationship until years later. Um, but for me to have a dad uh, that was non-existent in, in my life as a kid uh, was very hard. It was, very str- it was a struggle, but he would offer up possessions or things to kind of like, you know, buy my, buy my appreciation or buy my love, buy our relationship. When I can sit here and tell you story after story about uh, when my dad was supposed to come pick me up on Friday nights at 6 o'clock when it was his weekend, I'd be sitting there at 6 o'clock with my little bag ready to go, and he would never show up until Saturday. And he'd show up and be like, hey, I got you a new hat. And I'm like, that's great. See, all I wanted was to spend time with him. See, we've got families right now, husbands and wives with kids. Right now, we've got families that are going through the same things in their own household. They're going through the things of like, you know, I don't have time to, to spend with, with my kid. I don't have time to spend with my wife, but here's, here's uh, uh, some new clothes. Here's some, here's some money to go do this. Here's that. When, we need, when what needs to happen is that the relationship, the time spent together is what's important. Because years later now, for me, in years to come, I will remember sitting on that couch waiting on my dad to show up, and he never did. But I couldn't tell you what that hat was, what it looked like. If it even was a hat, I don't even know. But I know he showed up with stuff to help buy that time. It's like it's not about the time, or it's not about the, the possession, but I wanted the time. I wanted the time with my dad. You see, we have families right now that are going through the same stuff. What are you investing in? What are you investing your time and your efforts into to long for eternal riches or not? The second one is this, a godly man leaves a legacy. Uh, in verse 17, I'll uh, kind of go back to this real quick. It says, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down with him. We will not carry anything with us when we leave this earth. We can build up possession after possession, bank account after bank account, but we cannot take it with us. But what we can do is we can leave a legacy. You see, a family man impacts his genealogy in a great way. A family man is someone that impacts his, his, uh, his family tree for generations to come, whether it's good or whether it's bad. One of the, uh, the passages of Scripture I want to pull out to talk about this, uh, if you've ever heard of the Shema. The Shema is an, is an Old Testament prayer uh, for the, the Jewish people use. It was kind of like the main prayer that they used, that they would focus on, because it's very family-oriented in the idea of how they would lead their children uh, to know the, the teachings and the law of God. Uh, so out of Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on, on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It says that you should teach them diligently to your children. To leave a legacy with your own child with your own family, to be able to impact a, a generations of your own family tree. You see, we can't, uh, we can't leave a legacy. Uh, our, 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 our legacy is not of our careers or our accolades or our highlights, 
But a legacy is, is a salvation, is a faith-changing salvation that we have in our own life that we've experienced, and then we take that and how it, come, and it has affected us, and we you know, translate that to the people around us, to our family and to our friends, to our kids and to our spouse. That when we leave this earth, that we leave a legacy of, of salvation, of knowing God, of glorifying Him, of living a life where we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind for generations to come. That you can impact your family for years and years down the road. But you can also impact them in a negative way by not leaving a legacy of that, but maybe leaving a legacy of seek out the, the next biggest thing, the next possession, more money, the next biggest house, the better job, whatever it may be. But what we need to do is we need to spend more time leaving a legacy of faith in our own family trees. To be a man that steps up and says, you know what, I'm going to lead this family, I'm going to lead this family well. As a man of your household, as the dad, as the husband, it is your responsibility as the head of that household to lead them and to lead them well, to lead them in their faith, to be able to lead them so that they can have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Their heart, their soul should be what's in your mind and in your heart, what you're praying for day in and day out. The third one is this, a godly man lays down his pride. Lays down his pride. As a man, this is something that's pretty tough. For a lot of us, because pride is something that uh, we've learned that we need to have, that it's something that we need to have, that how it affects us, but our pride is something, you know, to be a man, you need to be proud of who you are, but we need to be proud of who we are in Christ. To lay down this pride, every man, every boy grows up wanting to be a hero. We play army and we play superheroes as kids because we want to be the hero. We want to be the one that saves the day. We want to be the one that pulls somebody out of a burning building, or we want to be the one that everybody looks to and be like, man, there's the hero. We want that in our life. When we want that in our life, sometimes uh, our pride as the hero can be uh, actually do more harm to our family than good. That we spend so much time, I need, I need to do this because my family needs this. I need to make more money so that my kids can have nicer clothes because that's what they want. I need to make more money because my wife wants a bigger house and that's what they need or what she wants. But what we need is a relationship. We need, mom, we need dad in the house. We need a husband in the house to be able to spend time with his family. You see, being a hero, uh, sometimes like the most heroic thing we can do is to be content with who we are. To be content and say, you know what? Look where we're at. Look how we're blessed. Look what God has given us and blessed us with, and we should be content in that. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Riches and honor and life. It's a reward for those that are humble and those that fear the Lord. To be humble in the eyes of God, to be able to uh, humble ourselves and to step back and say, you know, it's not about me, but it's about what God wants for me and my family. And the reward is riches and honor and life. Life eternal. Blessing upon blessing God's going to give you. When you humble yourself and say, it's not about me, but it's about God and what he wants to do. You see, I think the idea of being content is that a lot of us need to say, you know what, it's not about getting the next biggest thing or the next nicest thing for our family. About working and getting whatever that possession or whatever that thing is or getting the promotion in our job. But it's about maybe stepping back and saying, you know what, I just need to be at home. I need to have a tea party with my little girl. I need to toss the ball around with my son. I need to spend time just sitting on the couch with my wife, taking a walk, and less worry less about the things that we keep striving for, the temporary earthly things and say, you know what? This is what God wants me to do. God wants me to lay down my pride. And sometimes I think the most humble thing that we can do is to pray. 
to be able to pray. Because when you pray, as Pastor Chris talked about last week, when you spend time in prayer, you are, you are humbling yourself because you are admitting that you need God. You're admitting that you need help. And sometimes that is the most humble thing that we can do is to pray and to call on Jesus and be like, you know what, I need you. I can't do this on my own. To be able to call on his name. And how often, men that are in here, whether you're married, whether you're not, whether you have kids or whether you don't, how often do you spend praying for others? What I mean is how often do you spend time praying for your kids, praying for your wife, praying for your family that's around you? You see, uh, for me as a, as a kid, uh, you know, I didn't have that role model to look to. So when I was a kid, I made a, a vow t- uh, to God and to myself that when, one day when I have a kid, three weeks from now, that I am going to be a better dad than my dad was. That's been my goal for 25 years, that I want to be a better dad than my dad was. You see, I've been praying for, uh, as a kid and as a teenager, I prayed for whoever uh, my spouse would be, and my spouse is here uh, in this service, but praying for her, but also when we got married to begin to pray for our children, however many that is, if it's just this one or however many it is, but to be able to pray for my wife and now to be able to pray for my daughter, but for years I have prayed for both of them before I ever even knew that's who that was, before I even knew that they were coming. And when we found out we were having a little girl, I began to pray uh, for her salvation. I began to pray for her salvation, and she's not even here yet, but I began to pray that one day she would turn her life over to Jesus Christ. Parents, how often are you praying for that? You see, I also began to pray uh, for our little girl's spouse, that when that day comes, years from now, years, 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 years from now, that that, that man would be a Christ follower. My mother-in-law was in town last week, and she said, just enjoy the times while she's a baby, because all of a sudden, before you know it, she'll be walking down the aisle. I'm like, 40 years is going to go by that quick? Like, really? (laughs) (laughs) No, maybe when she's 35, I'll let her date. But, uh, (laughs) But to be able to pray for our spouse, for for our kids, are you doing that? And I don't mean like, oh, I pray that he passes 10th grade this year. Or I don't mean that, you know, I pray that she would quit nagging me about something. I mean to pray for them. To pray for your kids. You have kids right now. How often do you pray for their spouse that may come years down the road? How often do you pray for their salvation, that they would come to know Jesus Christ? You see, praying is one of the most humble things that we can do. To be able to lay down our pride and to admit to God that we need help that we need to hand that over to him, that our, our kids coming to know Christ isn't totally in our hands, but God, it's in God's hands, and he's going to use us to be able to lead them to Christ, to be able to witness to them, to be able to live a life that is a godly example to them. The fourth one is this, a godly man lives in Christ. Godly man lives in Christ. They are forgiven. We have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus offers it to all people, man, woman, doesn't matter how much money you have, what your job is, all those things, it does not matter. It's offered to everyone. And when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you begin to live in Christ. We become in Christ when we ask him to be the Lord and the Savior of our life. What does it mean to be in Christ? To be in Christ means that our, our heart has been, has been changed with his. Our, heart has, our will and our desire and our passions have been switched out for what he wants. So it's not about what do, what do I want, but it's about what does God want for me and my family. That that becomes my desire. That that becomes my passion and my focus. That God is the one that leads our home. You know, we are the man of the house, so to speak, but we're only the man of the house if the man of the house is the man of the house. You see, we are the second man of our house. The man of our house needs to be Jesus Christ. 
And if that's the case, then we can live in Christ. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of man, our heart, will plan our way, but the Lord will establish our steps. The question that I have for this uh, for you is, so many of us will trust in Jesus as Savior. Jesus, save me from, from hell. Pull me into heaven. But we don't want to trust in him as our Lord. We don't want to trust in him as the, as the focus or as the, as the priority in our life. We just want him to simply save us, and then we want to rely on ourselves or rely on other things to, to be able to live our life. We rely on our, on our hobbies, our job, our, our bank account, technology, our sports teams, all of these things become our Lord when Jesus is supposed to be our Lord. You know, how often do you, when living in Christ, how often are you spending, in much, how much time are you spending in God's word? To be able to live for Christ, you, first of all, you have to know what Christ lived like to be able to live for him and to see how you're supposed to live, and you have to read the Bible to be able to, to see that. When so many times I think we could sit here, and whoever your favorite team is, your favorite football team, baseball team, whatever it is, your favorite team where you could probably name me the starters off of that team for the last five years in a row, but if I said, can you name me the 12 disciples who haven't changed in 2,000 years, you may not be able to do that. That's a serious problem. We spend so much time worried about things that are temporary, earthly, and are going to pass, and that are in the grand scheme of no real importance. But we won't spend time reading God's word and letting him teach us something, letting him show us something so that we can live in Christ. We trust in him as our Savior, but not as our Lord. These other things become the Lord of our life. Our money drives us. Our work drives us. Whatever it may be. Number five, a godly man listens to the truth. A godly man listens to the truth. The Dude's Guide to Manhood, this book uh, actually kind of talks about this similar idea and talks about a, a man being coachable, meaning coachable, willingness to listen to the truth and to make changes for the better. Are you a coachable man or do you have it all figured out? Let me rephrase that. Or do you think you have it all figured out? You see, are you coachable? Will you, rely, will you allow other people that maybe have more experience in, in something, allow them to coach you or teach you? Will you allow Jesus Christ, who is a perfect man, will you allow him to be able to teach you in how you should live? Because if that's the case, then you need to spend time in his word, spend time in the truth. You see, God gives us the truth right here in this book, and so often we don't even look to it for truth. We look to other people. We look to uh, sports, and we look to money, and we look to jobs, and we look to all these famous people, or whatever it may be. But we won't look to God's word for the truth that's going to lead us and guide us, that will give us the wisdom. Do you realize that your life, is, you have like, here's like, this is the book that's going to guide you. It's going to train you for your life and how you're to live. It's almost like you're taking a math test and you get to ask the teacher the answers. You're like, two plus, teacher, two plus two, and they're like, four, and you're like, four, and then you go to the next one, and you, you work through it. But well, do you realize you have the same ability with God? He created this whole thing, this earth. He created it, and our life is in his hands, and we're sitting there, and we're like, man, I just, I just don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do with, uh, with my family. I don't know how to handle this situation in my job. It's right here. The answers to the test are right here. The guy that created, the God that created this whole thing, is, he's given us the answers right here, but we won't spend time in the truth to learn it and to be able to apply it. We simply continue to try to do it on our own because we won't lay down our pride. But going back to that other point, we won't, we won't be humble and be able to trust in God. Proverbs twelve nineteen says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Truthful lips endure forever. Those who speak tr- truth endure forever. And then Proverbs 3.13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. The one who finds wisdom is blessed. 
to be able to receive blessings. When you open up God's word, you open up this book of wisdom and truth. And to be able to find that, you will gain understanding and you will be blessed for it. You see, manhood is not something that's achieved. It's not something that's attained. You can't kill enough animals. You can't uh, get old enough, grow enough facial hair, get a, a, better, a, you know, a greater job, or to have more money in your bank account or more possessions, uh, to have more relationships or women in your life. All of those kinds of things do not make you a man. Manhood is a blessing from God. It's a gift from somebody that trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, turns their life over to them, begins to understand and read the Word of God. And find the wisdom that is in there and be able to apply it to the life. That's what makes a man a man. For you guys that are in here, what are you doing right now to show that you're a man? And what I mean by that is, how much time are you spending in God's word? How much are you trusting and relying in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Because that's the question you need to ask yourself about being a man. It's not about your age and all these other things. See, Jesus Christ gave us a perfect example of a man. He lived a life where he was tough, but he was compassionate. He lived a life where he had wisdom, but he still learned. If you'll remember, he sat as a kid and, and heard the teachings and still learned. You see, he was perfect. And he lived a life that ultimately led to him dying on the cross for us. He sacrificed his life for us so that we can be united with him for all eternity. It doesn't get more manlier than that. Men that are in here, what are you doing right now for your family? Are you praying for them? Are you spending time, more time with them and less time with your job? More time with them and less time uh, with your hobby or your, the things that you like to do uh, outside of the home? Instead of spending the time building relationships with your own spouse and with your own kids. You see, it's the relationships that are going to be remembered from years on. The impact that you can make in your family tree is great. The question is, is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Is it going to be earthly, temporary things? Or is it going to be spiritual, eternal things? Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, Lord, we just come to you. uh, Just grateful for your word uh, and how it can speak to each one of us. Uh, God, that these words that we've read uh, as we've looked through some different passages of scripture. uh, Father, I just pray that for each one of these men in here, Lord, that they would want to step up as a man. That they would want to realize that it's not about their age and what they've done, the accolades that they've racked up over the years. But God, it's about a blessing that you have given them because they have placed their faith and trust in you and try to live a life that reflects your son, Jesus Christ. God, we are to live out of fear of you and what you think, not of those around us. I pray that that is our desire and our passion. God, as we've turned our life over to you as Lord and as Savior, Father, I pray that you would be the Lord of each one of our lives that we would look to you for guidance through your word. Father, for these men that are in here, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that they would begin to maybe make a change in their life, make a change on uh, what they're focusing their, times and their, their time and their efforts and their energy towards, to make it more about their family and leaving a legacy, but also more about you and how you have impacted their life and how they can grow and learn from you. And the Father, that they would impact their, their genealogy, impact their, their family tree for all eternity. That maybe generations to come will know you as Lord and Savior because this one man took the time and effort each day to spend in, his, in the Bible. Took the time and effort each day to pray with his family, to pray for his family, to spend time in relationships with his son, his daughter, and his wife. 
God, I just am thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. God, it's through his blood that we can be saved from hell and pulled in to eternity in heaven with you. God, I pray that we have done that, that we have made that decision to follow after you. And God, that we would live a life that reflects you as the ultimate man. Father, our manhood is not caught up in our things, the things that we do, the things that we have, but that our manhood is founded and based in your son, Jesus Christ, and who he is and what he did for us on the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, over